having good, positive relationships with others. Whoever I meet, I want them to feel better that they've met me. If it's overused, of course, it can become a weakness because people can take advantage of it. But, you know, I try to moderate it and manage it as well. Again, higher self-awareness leads to higher self-management. You're listening to the Vibrant Leadership Podcast with leadership speaker and consultant, Nicole Greer. Welcome to the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. My name is Nicole Greer, and I am also known as the Vibrant Coach. And today I have with me none other than Ed Everts. He is a leadership coach, a team coach, a business strategist, a podcast host, and an author who helps successful leaders build their self-awareness so they can self-manage more effectively. His most recent book is Drive Your Career, and we're going to talk about that today. And he hosts his bi-weekly podcast, uh, all over the web. So please subscribe. So right out of the gate, Ed, where can people listen to your podcast? Because we've got the podcast crew on right now. <laughs> well, you can hear it just about everywhere. Uh, statistically, most people lis- listen to it via Apple uh, and Google, but just about any podcast venue that offers podcasts, you can find it. Okay. So his podcast is Be Brave at Work. I love that title. That is a wonderful podcast title because that's exactly what we need is we need some leaders out there who can be brave. So I want to start out with the favorite question that I always ask uh, of every person who comes on the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. Give us your definition of leadership. Well, to me, leadership is about role modeling behavior that inspires others. So oftentimes leaders think they have to do the work And in reality, that's why we have employees, because employees are supposed to do the work. And what you want to do is set the vision for the organization and role model the behavior that you hope others honor and emulate. So leaders really are those that demonstrate behaviors that they want others to do and lead them in a particular way. Okay, fantastic. And so this new book of yours, tell us all about your book and what brought on the idea that I need to get this written down. I got to put pen to paper. Well, I, uh, my first book was called Raise Your Visibility and Value, and that was really, from my perspective, a recap of my 25 years in corporate America working for large organizations. And we had just hit 2008, which some of us will recall was a depression. And so networking became such a huge activity and such a huge buzzword. And I quickly realized, based on my prior activity, that networking wasn't enough, that you really needed to raise your visibility in order to be seen within your organization and industry. After 12 years as a leadership coach, uh, I came to a decision that I also wanted to share some information and observations. And quite honestly, Nicole, there were stories that I heard myself repeat from client to client, regardless of who the client was. So they could have been a company president or a supervisor, but these stories just came up naturally. I didn't bring them up purposefully, but they just came up in our conversation. So I had one of those shower moments where I said, you know what? I think this should be the content for my next book. I should capture the stories that I tell most repeatedly or the observations and behaviors that most people need to do in order to drive their career and be more in charge of where they're going. And it happened to be nine stories. And so that's where Drive Your Career came from. Mm, That's fantastic. And, you know, I just had uh, Kelly Swanson on the podcast and we talked all about the power of storytelling. So listen, Ed knows what he's talking about here. These stories... I I imagine uh, once you read them, you've got the principle in your mind. Is that correct? 
it's meant to be a very simple book. It's meant to be what I call an airport book that you can purchase on a two-hour flight to, you know, Philadelphia from New York or whatever and read it. Uh, it's meant to create stories that you can take from the book. And each of the chapters begins with a kind of a fake name, but the story is real. So these are real clients with real experiences that I hope people can relate to that they can uh, identify as necessary to help them be more of a driver of their career. Mm, that's awesome. Okay, so let me ask the first question that I know you cover in your book, which is how do you cultivate a positive relationship with your boss? Because even if you're the CEO, you've got a boss. It's the stakeholders, it's the customers, it's the board of directors. So how do you cultivate these positive relationships? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a statistician, Nicole, yet it became very clear to me after working with clients for about 12 years that easily 85% of them believed that they could have a more positive relationship with their boss. And I don't mean become best friends and you know go out for margaritas on Friday night, but you know just be more positive and have a more positive relationship. And upon further investigation, it became clear that they weren't doing anything to ensure that it was more positive. They worked together, but they weren't being purposeful in ensuring that they had a positive relationship. So your boss is a very important relationship that you have in your organization. And as you said, a CEO even has a boss, oftentimes it's the board of directors, but ensuring that they have a very positive view of you in respect to their interactions with you and the work that you do is super, super important. So the first chapter is really designed to remind people that it's important that you work and do purposeful things in order to ensure that if your boss is in the elevator and the CEO says, hey, how's Nicole doing? Uh, in the three seconds that we have, I say something very positive, right? And I don't pause or have to think about it, but I know instantly that my relationship with you is very good and that we work really well together. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what you just said was that, you know, it's important to be very positive. Um, know what you're going to say if you meet up with different people, especially the CEO, uh, and be purposeful. Um, is there a way that I can prepare to have those kind of uh, moments that happen just, to, you know, all of a sudden, oh, there he is. Is there something I could do to prepare? Absolutely. So in the book, I share three ideas that you can do oh, in, order to, in order to uh, make great progress. Let me share them with you quickly. One is uh, be transparent, you know, uh, if it's appropriate. It may not always be appropriate because I'm not suggesting that everybody has a great boss. You know, there are some bosses out there that are bad at what they do, and it's hard to have a positive relationship with them. But if there's a possibility that your relationship could be better, is be transparent and say one day, hey, Nicole, I think our relationship can be even better than it is today. I think it's good, but I think it could be even better. Are you willing to work on that with me? And I would hope the boss would say, absolutely. And then you can start sharing some ideas of things that you can both be doing a little bit differently to be more effective. So idea number one is to be transparent. Idea number two is to be curious about your boss's goals and objectives. You know, we think so much about our own goals and objectives and where we want to go and what we want to do. We hardly ever spend time asking others what they want to do and where they want to go. And so show curiosity as to what your boss's objectives and goals are. And then, of course, once you know what they are, you're in a better position to help them. And bosses love people in their organization who are moving in the same direction and helping them go in a particular direction. So knowing your boss's goals and objectives would be super important. And then the last idea is to ask what I call the million dollar question, which is Ooh. what's one or two things I could do differently to be more effective. And it might be effective in our relationship. It might be effective in my role, but 
This is a great question that people don't ask at the workplace. They should ask peers, they should ask bosses, they should ask subordinates. You know, what's one or two things I could do differently to be more effective? It's not 50 things, it's just one or two. It's different, it's not better or worse because some people don't like feeling like they're judging people so they might avoid the answer. Different is a little bit more benign and people are more apt to answer it. And then of course, who wouldn't want to help you be more effective, right? So it ends on a positive note. So, you know, if people do one of those three things, their likelihood of opening the door to a more positive relationship with their boss is greater. Okay, I, I adore that. Yeah, so I'm curious about the boss's goal. And you know, when you said that, I thought, well, shouldn't I know what the boss's goal is? But you and I both know, Ed, that sometimes the boss isn't very good at telling everybody what he wants done or what she wants done. And so being curious about that, that's my favorite out of your three, my absolute favorite. All right, <laughs> so uh, the other thing I want to ask you about is the power of curiosity. You touched on it when you said that for number two. And uh, as a coach, you being a coach and myself, you know, one of the things we learn in our coach training is that the coach has to be seriously curious. Um, you know, I wonder why he says that. I wonder why that happened. You know, you my, my master coach used to say, you need to turn to wonder. Wonder why. So, so tell me a little bit about how the power of curiosity can drive your career. Well, you know, this comes from the experiences that most of my clients have in the workplace. And I would agree with you that we're so focused on projects and tasks and clients and conference calls and meetings that we don't spend enough time understanding each other well enough and what we're looking to achieve and obtain by working wherever it is that we're working. And so you know, our relationships just aren't as good as they could be. So I think ultimately, and this comes from after 12 years of working with leaders and reflecting back on my 25 years, in corporate organizations that there are some very basic skills that most of us can get better at. Not everyone, because every, you know, some people are great at this, but most people can get much better first at being curious, which is seeking first to understand why the other person is saying what they're saying, where they're coming from, what their biases or prejudices are, you know, why they think what they think before I weigh in. You know, if you think about it, I would much rather know why you're thinking what you're thinking before I share my side of the perspective, because I'm gonna offer a better answer. If I don't know why you think what you think, and I don't even know what your purpose or reasons or you know, uh, rationale is for it, I'm kind of swinging it air. I don't know what's gonna happen if I share what I share. So demonstrating curiosity is a significant leadership skill. Some people don't like it because they feel like it takes time or uh, you know, I'm unfolding things that aren't important, but my experience has been personally and I would tell you that the experiences of my clients, the more curious they are, the more effective they become because they just happen to know more. And then the other side of the equation is if you're going to be curious, you also have to be a great listener, right? If you're going to ask a great question, you have to go quiet and listen to the person's answer, even if you disagree or even if you feel differently. Unfortunately, you know, we've been raised in high school and college to always be expected to have the answer, right? The teacher would say, what's this? or what's that? And he would expect everyone to raise their hand because everyone knows the answer. And so we've been grown and raised to always try to have the answer. And so before you're even done talking, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to say to either disagree with or agree with you, right? So rather than do that, be curious and then also be a great listener. From that answer, you can be curious again and then listen, right? And I just know that people will have much more effective relationships at work if they demonstrate curiosity and great listening skills. 
Yeah, I totally, I, I cannot agree more with what you just said. And the thing about being curious is you said, you know, you'll find out more. So if you think about it, like you're gathering data, you're gathering nuances, you're gathering what the consequences might be to whatever action or strategy you're trying to put in place. So I love that. And also the part about listening. So don't miss that it's everybody write this down. So like if you ask a question, be prepared to listen instead of like asking a rhetorical question, right? Which is what a lot of leaders do. You right. agree with me, right? <laughs> I do. I do. And I would ask all of the listeners today to really catch themselves and say, is this a situation that I can be more curious rather than answer, right? Someone might walk into your office and say, hey, I'm experiencing a situation. Can you help me? And I'd say, what's the situation? And they tell me, and then I give them the answer. And instead of doing that, you might be more curious about what's happening, why it's happening, what are you thinking? What are your suggestions and thoughts? They may have the answer. You know, Anytime I host a webinar or a training class with people, they always have all the answers. I always have all the answers. We just need to pull it out of them so they can be more outgoing with their recommendations. Yeah, and I think it's a lot of times when you uh, slow down and talk to somebody, they begin to think in different ways because we're we're opening up kind of their you know, habitual thinking patterns, right? So when you're curious, you're doing that for both of you. So I, I absolutely love that. Okay, so leaders have to give presentations. And so I'm a member of the National Speakers Association. And I'll tell you, Ed, that um, many, many leaders are scared to speak. They're, they're scared to present. Um, so I work with leaders to do that. I want to totally know your take on how do you deliver more effective presentations? Because it's a whole skill set that leaders need to have. Well, if you're a member of NSA, Nicole, you should be answering this question, right? But, you know, I would tell you that uh, a huge piece of uh, work that I do when I present and whether it's at a webinar or in front of people, you know, number one is really to practice. And I don't mean literally get up and practice the whole speech, although that is very possible to do, but it's creating really what I call talking points. So, you know, if I write what I want to say, I will never remember it. And I can still remember situations where I went in to deliver something and I had scripted out my whole talk and one or two pages in, I forgot where I was going or what I was saying. And there was this, you know, awkward pause, right? Because I needed to go back to my notes to remember what I wanted to say and do. So I shifted to what I call talking points, which are things that I want to say. Nobody knows that I want to say them. Nobody knows what order I want to say them. But as long as I get them in and it makes sense how I got them in, I'll deliver a home run, right? So I think creating talking points, which is not a script, but just the point you want to make is a great idea for people who are looking to feel a little bit more comfortable speaking. It is okay to be nervous. Uh, some of the greatest actors in the world would tell you that, you know, even in the twilight of their career, they still get nervous when the camera goes on uh, because it actually raises their performance level, right? By being a little bit worried about how you're going to do you have a higher likelihood of being more focused on doing a good job as opposed to somebody who doesn't care and comes in and just delivers uh, at a mediocre level. Uh, it's okay to be nervous as long as you don't let it consume you. Yeah. And I love what you're saying about just talking points. So I'm hearing you also say, if I read between the lines, to make it conversational and, and, and less of a speech, right? 
Um, I'm just right. going to talk to you about what's in my heart and my mind about where this company is going. And I care so much. And so I'm going to go through my talking points. I love that. Okay. So that just takes the pressure off immediately. All right. <laughs> so uh, that's great, great advice. So the next point I want to ask you about is, you know, we talked about how do I, you know, cultivate a great relationship with my boss, but what about the other people in the company and in the organization? What relationships do I need to cultivate at work? Well, you know, there's typically four areas of relationships that you should work on. And, you know, the key word there, Nicole, is relationship. You know, we don't right. think enough about the fact that the people we work with, we should have a professional relationship with. So uh, bosses are certainly important. And by the way, there may be more than one boss, right? You may be in a matrix environment where you support three or four people. It's more complicated, but you still need to ensure that you have positive relations with them. Peers, these are people who also report to bosses who I believe can also be accountability partners, uh, mentors, you know, people who can help you. And you might, you know, I might come to you one day and say, hey, Nicole, we both report to Ed. I'm having a challenging relationship reporting with him right now. Could you help me? Right? Because I think the relationship that you have is a little bit better. Uh, subordinates, you know, people that report to me, uh, you know, when I work with clients, I tell them the two most important relationships are bosses and subordinates, because those are the two people that I influence and get influenced by the most. And then the last might be clients or customers, you know, people externally who I work with, whom, of course, I must continue to have a great relationship with. So, you know, I think having conversations with them, checking in to assess how you're doing, you know, these are all things that you can do on a recurring basis, not frequently, but recurringly to ensure that you're on track, right? Because we oftentimes assume if I haven't heard from a client, everything's okay. And sometimes that's not the case. You haven't heard from them sometimes for a reason, which is that they're not happy and they don't want to talk with you about it because they're conflict avoidant and they're actually off finding somebody else to help them. So proactively reaching out to people and checking in to see how you're doing is a great behavior that people should be doing on a regular basis. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So, you know, if nobody's setting up a one-on-one -on -one with you, you better set up a one-on-one -on -one with them is what I just heard you say. You got <laughs> I love it. it. I love and let me it. just, and, yeah, yeah, let me just point out that's that's a great point, Nicole. That you know, uh, people who have a boss, if the boss has not set up the time to meet with you, and a a, a quarter has gone by, that Ooh. is a huge missed opportunity. And if you are driving your career, you are ensuring that you're getting in front of people on a regular basis. Again, not frequently, but a regular basis to keep them up to date on what you're doing, how it's going, because they need to know. Because if again, if I bump into the CEO on the elevator and he says, "Hey, what is your team working on?" I'm not going to know if we haven't talked for a while, right? So right. I need to be able to say, here's what we're working on. Even if I don't have in-depth information about it, at least I have a good answer. Yeah, 100%. Okay, I love that. And then the other thing that I loved what you said is, um, you know, is that the leader and your direct reports um, are the people that you need to be most in contact with. And I just got that vision of like, you know, a, a cheerleading squad holding up a pyramid of people, you know, yeah. uh, we're, we're not going to have that team spirit, we're not going to win the ball game if we don't have everybody, you know, in formation. So I love what you said there. That's awesome. All right. So uh, when should you put on the brakes in your career? And I'm curious, what exactly do you mean by put on the brakes? Well, when I talk about putting on the brakes, uh, I, I believe that's in a chapter where we talk a little bit about pausing. And, you know, pausing is not slowing down and it's actually not putting on the brakes. But what it does is it ensures that you invest the appropriate amount of time in some type of kickoff of a project or an initiative up front 
versus in the last minute where you're you know a week away from delivering it to the client and now you have to delay delivering it because there's confusion or people aren't where they thought they were in respect to completing the work right so i will tell you in my corporate career and then oftentimes working with my clients they start so quickly they meet and go 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 that ultimately they end up delaying things because there was confusion people weren't comfortable speaking up people weren't comfortable asking questions people were afraid to have you repeat yourself i mean god forbid someone should ever have to say something twice uh, but there was confusion at the kickoff and hence uh, there was confusion at the end. So my thought and suggestion in talking about pausing, it's not slowing down, it's not letting your competitors get ahead of you, but it's ensuring that at the kickoff, everyone understands their role, everyone understands what we are about to do, all questions are asked, a place is created for questions to be asked, so that when we say we're going to deliver it to the client, we do, and we deliver a great product on time. Mm, I love that. I love that. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, pumping the brakes, but not putting the brakes on completely. So I totally understand what you mean now. It's not coming to a full stop, but maybe uh, reflecting. And so some of the research I've read in the past says that, you know, all good leaders do some reflection time. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you say is, you know, stop, reflect. Uh, but I love what you said about the beginning. You know, be, you know you're just kind of in the car idling at the beginning of a, if we're going to keep using the car uh, metaphor, uh, is at the beginning, you're, you're, you know, you're having your first meeting, you know, the project management kickoff. And uh, it's kind of like, I want to make sure that all those questions are asked. So I, I love how that dovetails right back to the power of curiosity, one of your main points in the book. It's like, you know, if you don't allow everybody to be curious in the beginning, like, why are we doing this? It's not that we would take offense, that people are questioning us. They're just like, I got to know the why before I can like give my heart and my mind to this thing. Right. You know, so one of the behaviors I suggest leaders do is after that kind of project kickoff meeting, yeah. right, where we announce what we want to do, we identify whose roles, you know, we feel as though everything is understood and clear is say, okay, we're going to meet again in two weeks. At that meeting, we're not going to talk about the project. What I want to talk about is what don't you understand? What Ooh. questions do you have? What things do you need me to repeat? You know, what is it we need? What gaps do we need to close before we put our foot on the gas, to use that car metaphor, and I start moving it. forward? So unfortunately, we talk about it. We think everyone's heard us, and we go. And we don't pause enough time for someone to say, you know, I and this is what I call water cooler talk, right? We sit at the meeting and say, yep, I understand, I understand. And then we go to the water cooler and it's like, Nicole, I didn't understand the thing we were talking about. I think this is crazy, whatever it might be. So it's providing a place for people to not be judged and not be belittled because they ask somebody to repeat a question or uh, a topic we've already talked about, but uh, provides them a place to talk about it before we move forward. Yeah. And so I love that too. So, you know, that water cooler thing, I call that when I, when I talk about it, I call it the meeting after the meeting. Yeah. And you know, one thing leaders do that they're very good at doing this. They're like, does anybody have any questions? And, and what does everyone say? No. no. And so they're all shaking their head. No, but it like the, the leader needs to pull those questions out of people and like, kind of like, I like to say this sounds weird, Ed, but you'll bear with me. You know, it's like, you got to hold the space. Right? You got to hold the space a little while so that curiosity will come out and it, and it will also feel safe 
to be curious or push back or whatever, um, because otherwise you're going to have a whole new strategy at the water cooler coming out of this thing. And that strategy will be like, let's just see how it unfolds. I'll, I'll jump in and work when I see other people deciding it's okay. <laughs> and we don't want that strategy happening. So uh, I agree. You can't, you got to eliminate the meetings after the meeting. All right. All right. The last thing I want to ask you about is how to lead with empathy. And so uh, I love this. Uh, I work with a model called the tilt and uh, the tilt model talks about how a leader should be courageous and inspirational and wise, but also have empathy and really love people. So uh, I, I think this is going to be really good. Tell me all about empathy, Ed. Well, I think along with curiosity and listening, another key strategic leadership skill is empathy. And, uh, you know, I think empathy is going to be the word of the decade. It's already starting to be a little bit more visible. Uh, But uh, empathy, you know, today oftentimes, unfortunately, is viewed as a soft skill or a waste of time or some kind of life coach type perspective that, you know, I don't have to show empathy in the workplace. But in reality, it's about ensuring that you're building a better relationship with others. You know, empathy is about, you know, if somebody seems to not be having a good day or doesn't seem to be doing the work that they typically do, it's bringing yourself to their level to say, hey, what's going on? You don't seem to be yourself. You know, what can I do to help? As opposed to you staying where you are and expecting them to figure it out and try to get to you. So by going to somebody else's level and investigating their situation, the likelihood of you building a better relationship with them is effective. Do you have to do empathy all of the time? No, of course not. You're not going to be every day roaming the halls of the office looking for people. But, you know, every once in a while, somebody is going to have something happen over the weekend or have a personal situation or even a professional situation that's having a dramatic impact on them. And there is a little bit of an expectation that someone's going to notice. And it might be the boss, it might be a colleague or a peer, but, you know, somebody needs to say to that person, hey, Ed, you don't seem to be yourself today. What's going on? Can I help? And so there's a model in the book that talks about how to flow through empathy. It's a very simple model, but, uh, you know, the expectation is that you are noticing first that somebody is operating in a little bit of a different mode. If you never notice it, you know, that's where we have to start which is, you know, how do you notice when somebody is in a little bit of a different mode? Because you can't be empathetic unless you're noticing that something is happening. And then the steps that you might do to help create a stronger relationship with that person and help them solve whatever problem it is that they're experiencing. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And, you know, um, I think uh, a lot of how we act in corporate America is, you know, you walk in the door and you say, how are you today? And so what do you say? How are you today, Ed? What would you say? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm good. That's it. Yeah, all's good. <laughs> and it's all, it's almost kind of, dare I say it, like almost like fake, you know? Um, but is. if you listen to all of Ed's advice, you know, if you are watching people's behaviors, um, you know, you're, you're going to notice that they're a little off, right? So that was where you started when you said, you know, how do I cultivate a positive relationship? I'm going to try to be positive, but I'm looking around to see if people aren't as up the feeling scale as me. Um, and then the other thing you said was, you know, being transparent and curious about others and looking for where they are on that feeling scale, because the truth of the matter is, um, your point about empathy being the word of the, did you say of the year? Yeah. Word of the year. 
Of the decade. What did you say? You said decade. Okay, that's a big prediction, and you heard it first on the Vibrant Leadership Podcast from Ed. Okay, he says it's going to be the the, the word of the decade. But I I do think it's true with everything that's going on out there in our world, from the pandemic to the Me Too movement to our focus on um, inclusivity and diversity. That you know, we really do need to be able to put on other people's shoes. That's what empathy means. So I absolutely adore that. Okay. I pulled a lie. Ed, I want to ask you one more question because I'm having too much fun. Okay, so (laughs) here's the thing. I think there is somebody listening to this podcast, a special listener, and they're like, okay, I just woke up. I'm 27 years old. Um, I need to really drive my career. Okay, so how does the 27-year-old move from where they are to where they want to be? What what little piece of special advice would you give this special listener? He he or she wants to kick it into gear. I think there's a couple of things that uh, Ooh, folks good. can do, Nicole. You know, one is find an accountability partner. You know, mm. uh, oftentimes we're more likely to be successful if we have somebody who's helping us row as well, you know, it's very hard sometimes the old, you know, you can't fight city hall alone mentality. Uh, right. It's good to find a, it, And it doesn't have to be a business associate. It could be a friend saying, Hey, I'm trying to figure out what the next step of my life is. It would be great to talk it out with you. I'm not looking for any answers. I'm not looking for any judgments, but I just want to get it out of my head so I can think in certainly ask me some questions, but you know, making it more an active part of your life can help you make progress. The second thing, and this is something I work on with clients a little bit later in their career, but I think it's always good to do at any time, is to take a few minutes, and we have a chapter in the book where we talk about thinking with yourself, and this is because nobody knows you as well as you do, which is, you know, what are your three to five values? I mean, what is it that Mm. you truly value? And all of us have different values and different things that we think about that uh, impact us professionally and personally. So we need to think about, you know, what those three to five things are. I think once you have those three to five things and you know that they're somewhat accurate and then you're also speaking with someone, your likelihood of trying to figure it out is going to be a little bit better. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. And when you say values, you're talking about core values. Do I have that right? Yes, core values. I mean, these are, from my perspective, you know, almost as deep as you can go you know, what's important. So I'll tell you one of my core values. Oh, I would love that. Is relationships. So, you know, part of it's my personality preferences that, uh, you know, having good, positive relationships with others. And when I say others, I will tell you it's others. It could be the mailman. It could be, you know, my next door neighbor, five houses down, you know, whoever I meet, I want them to feel better that they've met me. So this is very important to me personally. I mean, this is very, very important. If it's overused, of course, it can become a weakness because people can take advantage of it. But, you know, I try to moderate it and manage it as well. Again, higher self-awareness leads to higher self-management. But relationship building, having good relationship is one of my five values. So those are the types of things that, you know, people want to think about. And an accountability partner could hear them and say, hey, you know, when you combine four of those, it sounds like something you might want to do is the following, right? And, you know, this goes back to driving your career, which is identifying what's important to you as an individual so that you can be more in charge of where you're going and how you're getting there. Mm, I love that. Okay, so that's worth repeating. So uh, essentially what I heard you say is that it is really good to leave people better than you found them. That's true for all of us all the time. 
Okay. So I, I love Ed's core value of relationships. Uh, leave people better than you found them is what he said. So write that down. Uh, put it on a sticky note on your on your computer screen. And then the other one you said is uh, really huge. And this is a little mini lesson in emotional intelligence that Ed just gave you. So I'm telling you, this is bonus material. He said, uh, higher self-awareness leads to higher self-management. Boom. Mic drop, Ed. That was all. <laughs> That was fantastic. All right. Well, everybody, I am just absolutely delighted to have Ed on the show today. And Ed, will you please tell us the name of your new book, your podcast, and where we can find you in case we want to hang out with you and build a relationship? Sure. Well, my new book is Drive Your Career, Nine uh, High... Uh, Hold it up again. Hold it up again so we can get a good shot of it. Okay. So that's the one you want on Amazon, everybody. Drive Your Career. Okay. Drive Your Career. Yeah, and, it talks awesome. about, and it talks about your own success. So the goal here isn't waiting for someone to come in, you know, the proverbial knight to ride in and save you, but That's you have right. to be in charge of your own success. So I hope the stories can be helpful for folks. Uh, the podcast is called Be Brave at Work, and you can see all of our recordings at www.bebraveatwork.com. We post all of them there. We just posted our 100th episode, so we're really excited to have gotten that far. And anything else about me, you can go to excelius.com. That's E-X-C-E-L-L-I-U-S.com. It's our website and all the information about me and the work that I'm doing is there. Okay, fantastic. Ed, thank you so much for being on the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you, Nicole. Ready to up your leadership game? Bring Nicole Greer to speak to your leadership team, conference, or organization to help them with her unique SHINE method to increase clarity, accountability, energy, and results. Email speaking at vibrantcoaching.com. And be sure to check out Nicole's TEDx talk at vibrantcoaching.com slash TED talk. 